It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now on the phone from Florida, where I believe he's about to become a legal Florida resident, is MLB.com's Brian Hoke. How you doing, Brian? How are you, John? Yeah, I'm uh, coming up on about a half year here, so I guess for tax purposes, uh, it should be interesting when I file next year. Well, I don't know, Brian. Do you live in New Jersey or New York normally? Jersey. So this has been strange coming down. Uh, we've been down here since February 2. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but we road tripped down my wife and our two daughters. And we were expecting to go back north when the Yankees went north. But obviously that has all changed. And when the pandemic broke out and baseball shut down, none of us knew that it was going to take this long, really. I mean, you know, the talk around Yankees camp at the time was uh, maybe in two or three weeks, we would be back. And April turned to May and May has turned into June. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I will say at least the weather has been nice. Um, we, we've been sheltering in place. And uh, even though a lot of Florida has opened back up, and I think that, you know, bars and restaurants and beaches and pools have been pretty packed down here, um, we have stayed out of that. So we're pretty much still in our April mode and just hoping we will see some baseball this year. Um, we're certainly in the right place for it if, uh, if the sport can come back here. Um, I know a lot of the players have been down here at Steinbrenner Field. So just hopeful. And this is going to be certainly the longest, strangest spring training that I have ever covered. I, I think we can all get, agree on that. Well, we're really bumping right up against summer training, I would yeah, say. Yeah. Spring training 2.0 is what I'm choosing to call it. And so yeah, I hope we can be in a situation where the guys are back out on the field. You know, some guys never left. Um, they've continued to work out over Steinbrenner Field. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Luis Severino, uh, they were rehabbing players, so they were able to continue using the facility. Uh, DJ LeMayhew, Tyler Wade, Mike Ford, Jay Happ, just some of the names of guys who have continued to be over there uh, in large part because they thought it was the best, safest place for them to continue getting their workouts in and so they've had their little mini spring training going since things shut down in march i mean meanwhile earlier this week we saw an instagram video from garrett cole in the bullpen at yankee stadium i mean i i I know i speak for you i think i speak for everyone involved in the game whether you know a player a fan or a front office employee as i am it's just man every day it's something new we have no idea oh garrett cole's at yankee stadium who knew yankee stadium (laughs) like was unlocked it's just a very bizarre thing to see every day well, I guess when you're the $324 million ace of the Yankees and you knock on the door, they open it for you. Um, that was cool. That was Cole's first time, not including the press conference. It was first time on a Yankee Stadium mound since game three of the ALCS last year when, of course, he 
pitched seven shutout innings, and that wasn't even his best performance. I think he walked about five guys, but yeah, the Astros beat the Yankees that night. It was good to see him out on the mound, even if it was in the bullpen wearing the Yankee colors. It was cool. Kind of reminds you of what is around the corner. Like, this will not last forever, and so that was very encouraging. Um, just to see Garrett Cole on the mound. I know he's been playing catch with Aaron Boone in his yard in Connecticut, just trying to stay sharp. They're all kind of in their offseason mode, but um, yeah, he was bringing the heat. Uh, that that video is kind of a high fastball to the right-handed hitter. Um, I, <laughs> uh, it, it just kind of uh, it woke you up a little bit and said, all right, this, this could happen. This will be cool when it does happen. You know, speaking of some online videos from earlier this week, and, and, and I should point out, baseball stories right now are what they are. We're going to talk about the draft. It's going to be great. There actually is actual baseball news to talk about in that regard. But before we get there, you know, there was another video that came out earlier this week, which was a bunch of African-American stars of the game, including CeCe Sabathia, Aaron Judge, Aaron Hicks, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, making a, a, a real very impressive and heartfelt and emotional plea about Black Lives Matter. I wonder both if you saw that earlier this week and also any conversations or any word you've heard from, you know, whether Yankees or just players around the league about how this moment is affecting them. Yeah, great job by Brandon Mim, who's on the Yankee scoreboard crew. Uh, did a fantastic job piecing that together. I think they got more than 60 submissions from players and personalities around the game. And so this is very clearly something that uh, it's this moment in time is important to speak up on. And I, I think that these guys see their platform. They realize that people are listening. That's wonderful. Um, I, I think it's great that we are. Um, you see what's going on in cities around the country. And I think um, this is a moment where you want to stand up and be heard and, and say that this is something that's going on. This is real and that um, you want to be on the right side of history with. And so, um, yeah, I applaud that effort. Um, I, I think it's great that we are actually paying attention to that and um, that we are lending a voice and that, that these players are using their platform. Obviously um, they would love to be doing it at the field. And I, I wish we were in a situation where we could all do that face to face, but uh, this is the next best thing given the, uh, the situation, what is happening right now. And yeah, it's just, I, I'm encouraged by it, I guess is the way I would put it. I, I think you said it exactly right. And look, first off, Black Lives Matter, I, I'll speak very personal here. It's not a political issue to begin with, but I, I do enjoy seeing just, you know, all these people coming together right now and speaking out like this. And I wonder how much harder it would have been for the players to get involved in these messages if they were actually playing and if uh, they, they, they were living their normal lives. So I don't, I certainly don't want to say that anything good came out of this situation right now, but I do, I do see perhaps it's an opportunity for some of these players to speak up in ways they wouldn't have otherwise. And I, I give them credit for doing it. I know it, it, however hard it seems, I imagine it's always even a lot harder uh, to be able to, you know, to make some of these stands. And, and I'm glad to see that they're finding the opportunity to do that. But with that said, you know, horrible segue, I apologize. Like I mentioned earlier, we actually do, for the first time in a long time, have some kind of baseball to discuss. The baseball draft is always a very weird thing because it's it's the only major sports draft that happens during the season. So essentially, the draft is always competing against regular season baseball. But this year, <laughs> of course, it wasn't. It was also the goofiest, strangest, oddest draft we've ever seen because it was only five rounds and the Yankees only had three picks. If you missed it from last week when the draft happened, the Yankees selected catcher Austin Wells, infielder Trevor Hover. I say infielder. He was an outfielder in college, but the Yankees drafted him as an infielder. And pitcher Beck Way. Brian, let's start off just at the beginning 
what are, what are you hearing from people around the league and from the sources you trust on how they're rating the Yankees' performance in this draft? Yes, I mean, it's pretty solid draft. I think that, uh, you know, Damon Oppenheimer prepared for 10 rounds, he told us, um, because they believed it was going to be a 10-round draft. And then in addition, they scouted a number of players that they've uh, believed would fall out of the 10 rounds and go undrafted. And they've already signed four of those all right-handed pitchers at this point. So, it is a strange situation, though, um, when you've only got three picks. You know, typically on draft day, uh, if this were the regular season and things were normal, I would be kind of sequestered, on, especially on day one of the draft, because that is – it's almost like the Super Bowl for MLB.com. I mean, uh, other than the World Series, that is when we get the most traffic. And so it is just clicks. I'm sure a lot of that is family and friends and teammates of guys, you know, refresh, hitting refresh to see who's going to get drafted. And so – when they took Austin Wells with the 28th overall pick, I mean, that would have huge news. I mean, it was big news, I'm sure, but typically uh, I am, like I said, really just focused on the draft and the Yankees are usually on the field playing a game. And so it was really the first year that I was able to, to watch the draft completely and kind of dig in on every single guy here. And so Wells is a guy that uh, I'll start with him. Um, he's a guy that they've drafted twice now in the last three years. They really like him. Um, he came on a conference call with us and talked about how, <laughs> um, I guess the comp is Kyle Schwarber for him. And as you know, with Schwarber, he was a catcher who has wound up playing most of his professional career in the outfield um, just because of defensive, uh, I guess, questions. Um, well said, hey, I'm a catcher. I want to be a catcher. But if I have to go and mash home runs at Yankee Stadium and go play another position, be it left field, first base, DH, whatever it is, then uh, that's what he's going to go do. So I like the confidence. I, I, I think that came through pretty well. Yeah, I'm, I'm a catcher. Um, I want to be a catcher. I know I'm definitely willing to do whatever it takes to get to the big league. So if that's at another position, then I'll just hit home runs at Yankee Stadium and play wherever they need me to. So being a catcher is what I want to do, but I'm definitely uh, wherever my back gets me uh, to, to the big leagues the quickest for sure. A uh, kid who grew up a Red Sox fan, he said that – he watched the 2004 Red Sox. He would have been five years old. I did the math on that. Um, I guess it's possible. Um, you see those the Red Sox break the curse. And so he's been cheering for the Red Sox, but that turned very quickly when the Yankees called his name in the first round. And so uh, he and his, his family and all his friends, I guess they're going to be Yankee fans now. I'm just super pumped that it was the Yankees because of how great our relationship had been before. You mentioned the confidence and, uh, you know, listening to that call, it came through so well. You know, if, if we want to look across town for a second, just in terms of the interview, the comp that came to my mind was Pete Alonso right away. Just a guy who, no matter what his age, no matter what his experience there, you know, when you're talking whatever, I'll just mash home runs at Yankee Stadium, wherever they put me. <laughs> it was hard not to be excited hearing that. From a media perspective, I go, man, I can't wait to get to interview this guy, you know, and see what's going on. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that came through. I think there was a certain polish there. Um, it certainly, I don't think he was the kind of guy who's going to shy away from the spotlight. And Damon Oppenheimer said that too when he wrapped up the call, uh, wrapped up the draft with us on a conference call, said that this is a guy who the pinstripes are not going to be too heavy for. And that reminded me of something that uh, Reggie Jackson has said frequently over the years is that for some guys, the pinstripes are very heavy. I think Mariano Rivera has said words to that effect as well. And uh, when you have a guy who has the confidence, who is coming into New York and, and you believe he can handle it. I guess that's, I, I don't want to say it's half the battle, but it's certainly a big part of the battle. The Yankees know that they are in a situation where they have other considerations that say the Cincinnati Reds and Kansas City Royals don't. Playing in a large market with that spotlight, you need to have guys who can 
uh, handle that kind of pressure. And it, it certainly seemed, at least from that first call, that Austin Wells is a guy who can handle that. And, you know, just being a left-handed hitter with power to all fields, uh, put him in Yankee Stadium. I think it's easy to see why uh, the talent evaluators were excited that he was still on the board at 28. Obviously, we were excited to get to get Wells. I mean, we were really the left-handed hitting power catcher uh, who's a good athlete, has performed at an elite level with really tremendous work ethic and makeup. I mean, it was a it was a, it was a pretty uh, happy time for us when we saw that he was getting down towards us, that's for sure. So we think he can be an impactful guy, especially in our stadium. He's a mentally strong kid, so I think uh, the weight of the pinstripes aren't going aren't gonna to be really uh, affect him like some others. He's, he's just mentally built right, so it was, that, was, that one was good uh, to be able to get. There's a, there's a lot of ceiling for growth because mental, his mental side is so strong, and he's a good athlete. And even from talking to the guys that have coached him in college, they know that there's more to be done with him defensively because the coaching just hasn't been the best coaching for him as, as a catching guy. So Austin Wells, you know, powerful left-handed bat. Trevor Hover, powerful left-handed bat. Beckway, power arm. It, it, sometimes when, when you look at a team that makes 40 picks in a draft, it can be a little bit hard to see exactly what the f- philosophy is, you know, to, t- to find exactly what the comp is. I feel like it's pretty easy to see philosophically what the Yankees are doing right now, correct? Yeah, when you boil it down to three picks, it makes it really easy to do your draft recap, I'll tell you. Um, yeah, I, I think they – they believed that there were going to be there was going to be an arm for them to take, and that's what wound up happening with Beckway. Um, so they figured the higher ceiling position players would come off the uh, off the board a little earlier, and so uh, that's what you saw with the first two picks there. But uh, I think that you look at the construction of the Yankees uh, as they go, you you can get an, an impact bat who hits from the left side in Yankee Stadium. That's it's always a plus. And Brian Cashman, historically, he loves big arms, guys who are, are big bodies who can throw. Um, I, I don't The first name that comes to my mind is Dylan Batances, and I know that Beckway is not a comp to that. But it, just in terms of a big body guy who can throw in the upper 90s and way kind of took steps forward, had a big Cape Cod League. I think that was kind of a, a trend in this draft as well, that they would look for guys who uh, succeeded in the, the Cape Cod League because that's really – the best comparison you get, they're playing every day. They're playing against great competition. They're hitting with wood bats uh, on the hitting side. So um, I, I think if you get a guy who can play well in the Cape Cod League, Aaron Judge would, jumps out in my mind. He's a guy who his draft stock went high up because of what he was able to do in the Cape Cod League. And uh, that clearly worked out pretty well historically. So um, you never know. Prospects are suspects until they make it. But if you get to see these guys uh, on a regular schedule against that kind of competition and hit with a wood bat and they're able to succeed, I think that gives you a good feeling when, if and when they do get into your minor league system. One thing that's super interesting to me is I, I don't consider myself an expert on the draft. It's hard enough to follow both the major league roster and all the guys that the Yankees have in their minor league when you start moving to the entire spectrum of amateur baseball, I'm very grateful that there are people who are really good at that, who I can follow their stuff. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> when I was looking at this draft, I assumed, okay, the Yankees have three picks. They're just going to go safe. You know, They're going to look at polished, finished products, essentially, and take those. Instead, what you're kind of seeing is they take a catcher who there are questions about whether he can catch. They take in outfielder that they're going to move to the infielder 
they take a hard throwing pitcher who has really been incredible in relief, who they're talking about as a starter. And I'm interested in, in your perspective and maybe again what you're hearing in, in the sense that the Yankees, whether it's just their confidence in their player development skills and you know their creativity, if you want to say that, that it's not just a matter of going out there and drafting the guys who as college players are close to being finished products, but really looking at them and saying, even though these guys are mature and probably don't need as much minor league seasoning, we still might need to change each one of these three guys in a very specific way. Yeah, there's no perfect draft pick. I think that if you had a guy who you thought didn't have any rough edges to to sand down, he probably would have gone first or second overall. So um, I think that uh, when you're picking where the Yankees have had to pick historically, and, and especially in this draft when you only have three selections I think that it's it's tough to get a guy who you think is a complete lock and so uh, certainly with Wells yeah you don't know where the position is going to be but you think the bat is going to be good enough to carry him with however he was an infielder in high school he was a shortstop and uh, college he had to move to the outfield just because there were too many talented infielders on the team that he was playing with so yeah it is a question will he be able to make that transition back to second base but uh, the idea is that he will be. And as far as a hard-throwing starting pitcher, you can always fall back on the uh, on the bullpen if it doesn't work out. And so we've seen that time and time again. I think that um, they do have a lot of confidence. I thought one thing that was interesting that Oppenheimer said was, uh, particularly with Beck Way, he thought there was a lot of room to grow once they introduce him to Eric Cressy, the strength and conditioning guys, uh, when they get them with their pitch mix guys. They think that they can – really uh, kind of fine-tune his breaking ball and, and change up and make that more of an effective weapon. So these are not finished products. They, re- they rarely are. Um, you know, how many guys do you see um, rocket through the minor leagues and go right to the big leagues? So um, you're, you're seeing that there will be time that uh, development time there, but I think they see enough that they're very excited about where these guys are and where they can go. There's more in the tank with this guy when we get him in our strength and conditioning program with Cressy and the boys. There's a lot of room for growth here. He's got a really a dynamic changeup uh, that he feels comfortable using at any in any count. And his breaking ball is going to be uh, firmed up with our pitch design guys, and it's going to be a, an effective out pitch also. Following up on that, when you pick for the first time at number 28, you would hope that you're not getting your organization's top prospect. Do you have any sense of, between Wellshover and Way, where these guys might slot into a list at this point? Have you heard anything about where people are projecting that they fit in with the Yankees' top prospects? I haven't seen that yet, to be honest with you. I think that uh, you know the MLB pipeline guys, for example, do a very good job with that. I'd, I'd be looking forward to seeing their their update of the Yankee system. But, um, you know, as far as Austin Wells, look, he's not going to take over uh, Jason Dominguez at the top of the, the Yankee farm system. There's a reason uh, they're so excited about that. But I, I think that, look, if Wells comes in and he's somewhere, I mean, this is all just on paper rankings anyway. It doesn't really tell you a whole lot. I was looking back at some old rankings back in the day, and Andy Pettit was somewhere like in the 40s on the Yankees farm system. So uh, you never really know for sure. I mean, it's just one writer's opinion. But I, I would think that, Certainly, certainly Austin Wells should be somewhere in the top 15, I, I would guess, to start his professional career, and uh, we'll see where he goes from there. Last thing before we move on to discussing the minor league systems in general, the part of Damon Oppenheimer's call that I found the most interesting was when he talked about what they were able to glean this year from the Zoom scouting, in a sense. 
And one thing that I found fascinating was I feel like for the last two decades, anytime something a little bit odd happens in baseball, people like to talk about it as a repudiation of the Moneyball philosophy, whatever it is. You know, the idea of what Moneyball was about has been bastardized in so many ways at this point that anything unexpected happening, people say, just proves that Moneyball was wrong, it seems sometimes. This, however, really was a year when statistical scouting and statistical analysis was just so much harder than usual. And you heard Oppenheimer say that they were relying so much on the ability to talk to these guys on Zoom and get a real sense of their makeup and everything like that. And I wonder if this year actually is, in a sense, a repudiation of those battles that have been waged over the last two decades between analytics and scouts and things like that. And if we're going to see almost a case study in you know how this method works compared to the others. We, we actually probably learned more about players as individuals this year with the amount of Zoom calls that we did, it was, we dug into them. It was, it was the details of, of them as players and stuff. It was so, it was different. It was hard. The, the fact that you didn't get to see them with your eyes, interact with their teammates and, and do some of the things like see how much some of them had grown, put on weight from the time you made evaluations on them in the summer. That made it hard and made a little, a little more guessing to it. But, did the best we could with it. I suppose it's possible, but I think that what I would say is that this year proved it can be done this way, but it is not the optimal way to do well, it. That's for sure. Yeah, I think it was difficult for um, the Yankees to really, and, and all 30 teams really, to get a, a true feel for the player because, first of all, you had a shortened season where a lot of these guys, some of the pitchers made five or six appearances. And it, it's really hard. I, we certainly see at the big league level, you can't judge a guy on five or six games you really need to see it over the long haul so you would have wanted to see these guys have complete years and compile those numbers but I, I really think there is no substitute for actually having a scout in the stands laying eye, laying eyes on these guys look you can look at the numbers I can do that um, you, you can talk to a guy on zoom and kind of get a feel for who he is but uh, you know as well as I do when when you do these zoom calls even when I'm doing like a happy hour with my buddies like you're not completely putting everything out there. You're putting the best version of yourself out there, right? So uh, I'm sure that some of these players did that too. Uh, you're not, you want to see how they interact with their teammates. You want to see what they are in the dugout during the game, during the heat of competition, because that's a real accurate representation of what they'll be doing when they get to Charleston and Tampa and Trenton and Scranton. It's really hard to judge that just based off some old game videos, uh, some stats and a Zoom call when, uh, you know, the, uh, the player might be talking to you and he knows his agent is watching and his parents are in the other room. I, I feel like you're, you're not getting a completely accurate picture. Um, so I think, you know, in the case of Austin Wells, uh, for example, I think that it's probably prudent by the Yankees that this is a guy they drafted twice in the last three years because they liked him enough two years ago to draft him. Now you make him a first round pick. I, I think that they obviously had a wealth of information and had been tracking him. And so if you liked him, Enough to take them two years ago, probably a pretty safe pick to take them this year, uh, even when you don't have all the information. Absolutely. Brian, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, I'd like to talk to you about where the prospects and where the team go from here. So everyone stick with us. We'll be back in one minute. Hi, this is Clark Schmidt. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get it. It's a home run. A three-run home run for Bucky Zinn. The Yankees now lead it by a score of 3-2. 
Hey folks, it's Bucky Dent. I'm proud to be part of a new podcast on Yankees Magazine Podcast Network called Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Every other Tuesday, we'll bring you a new episode chatting about great moments from Yankee history with some of my best friends from a career in the game. We'll look at what's happening with the current team, share some memories, and no surprise, we'll even discuss a little homer I hit one credible day in Fenway Park. Download Deep to Left with Bucky Dent at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice. Can't wait to speak with you soon. This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm still here with Brian Hope from MLB.com. Brian, obviously, you you get through the draft, and the, and, and the question becomes, what next? And I don't think that's ever been more of a question than this year, because I literally don't know what's next. Where are these players supposed to report to? Are they supposed to report to anywhere? Is there anywhere even for them to report to once they sign, obviously? That is a very good question, and I, I think it's one that we're all kind of waiting to, to find out the answer to. Um, we talked to Oppenheimer about that, and obviously uh, the Yankees minor league complex down here is closed for the most part. Um, so I think that uh, there are not, obviously, minor league games going on right now. We don't even know what's going to happen with a minor league season. If there is one, I think the teams have been kind of operating as though it would be very limited, if at all. So the one thing that Damon did say is that the players are champing at the bit to get going. And now they have to decide how they're going to move forward with that. They're going to do the physicals, have to sign contracts with the players. But the details of where they're going to go and uh, what they're going to do, the, the team is still not sure yet. So players are continuing to work out at home. They're, they've got kind of complexes nearby where they can hit and throw and get in kind of batting practice, bullpen type shape. But um, as far as actual games, um, we don't know the answer to that. We, we don't know the answer to that at the major league level either. So I think that once the MLB side of it gets figured out, um, I think the minor league side will kind of fall in line. Perhaps there'll be some kind of taxi squads yet, but that is all still very much unsettled for these guys. I wonder, obviously, whatever happens with Major League Baseball is part of a collective bargaining agreement between the players and the league. Such an agreement doesn't exist between the minor leaguers. I wonder if, short of games happening in in, in all the different affiliates around the, the league, if each team is kind of free to use its academy and its player development complex in any way it chooses. I, I wonder if that's just going to be where they're essentially running a camp or instructs over the course of however many months is left in the season. I would guess that's possible. I would guess there there would be no restriction as, as far as holding some kind of camp where maybe you have guys scrimmaging against each other over at, uh, at the Himes Avenue Complex in Tampa. But um, I, I think that the focus has rightfully so been on the major league side first. Uh, let's get these guys back on the field if we can. And um, after that, I think everything else will fall into place. But, you know, this is valuable development time for all these players. A, a lot of these guys would have been – for, for example, Jason Dominguez might have made his stateside debut this year, and it seems like that's probably not going to happen. Uh, if it does, it'll be very limited. So um, you're, you're pushing back the development clock on these guys for about a year, and um, I think that the ripple effect of this will continue for years to come. This is something that I've spoken about a couple times 
it's going to be so interesting whether it's five years from now or 10 years from now or, you know, in some cases, 20 years from now, maybe in the case of Dominguez, the way that we always look back on the 2020 season, both when it comes to, and, and I'm obviously, this sounds ridiculous talking about a guy like Jason Dominguez who hasn't even played in you know, the United States yet. But right. if you're talking about Hall of Fame cases, if you're talking about, you know, whether a Monument Park case or things like that, where you just look at this completely lost season that didn't exist and you wonder about, you know, lapses in development, lapses in all these things, lapses in just counting stats. It's right. going to be a very bizarre thing that's just part of our understanding of baseball for the next generation or so. Right. We're looking at, you know, you're, you're losing a prime year of guys in the middle of their careers. Uh, I mean, Look, yeah, we all wanted to watch Garrett Cole pitch for the Yankees this year, but hopefully we get eight more after that where we get to watch him. But you're losing a, a year in the middle of Mike Trout's career. You're, you're losing, um, you know, the Dodgers traded for Mookie Betts, and he may not play a game in their uniform, which is crazy. So, um, yeah, it is going to be strange when we all look back at this, uh, this 2020 pandemic year. And, um, you know, whatever it winds up being, the, the counting numbers – as you said, are not going to be there. So, yeah, would John Carlos Stanton have hit 50 home runs this year? We will never know. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be a, a strange little footnote on, uh, on, on baseball. And, yeah, I think we'll all kind of understand it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to picture myself in 10 years looking back and saying, well, why didn't uh, this guy get to this number? Why didn't Glaber Torres get to this round counting number? It's like, well, uh, you know, if he played that full 2020 season, maybe he would have gotten there. And so – We'll never know. Usually, the assumption is if you draft a college player, you're picking someone who's more big league ready, less projectable, perhaps, or less requiring projection than a high school player. Do you think there's any sense that the Yankees taking three college players has to do with the uncertainty of the minor league system, not just in 2020, but also with all the questions about how minor league affiliations are going to work from 2021 and beyond? I guess there might be something to that. Um, I, I don't think it dissuaded teams around the league from taking high school talent by and large. I think, generally speaking, the rule is you always take the best player on the board regardless of need. And I think that uh, if you look at what the Yankees did, that, that's probably uh, this, the theory they subscribe to. I think that, yeah, there is something to the idea that if you have a less polished high school player and then draft him, sign him, and have nowhere for him to go this summer or aren't sure what you're going to do, then you do kind of wonder about what that's going to do. But he would also have enough time on the clock where even if it starts up next spring, you would think that he would be able to, uh, you know, this hypothetical pitcher or hitter that we're talking about here, that he would be able to fire it up and, and begin his path toward the major league. So I, I, I do believe that maybe there is something to that, but uh, I would guess that more often than not, and, and knowing Damon, the way he's run the draft since 2005, I believe, uh, it, it's always take the best player on the board, uh, regardless of need, regardless of what you believe, high school, college, whatever, pitcher, hitter, just take the best guy. And, and so I think that they probably came to a consensus and said that Austin Wells, college catcher, we can get him here at 28. Let's get him. I guess I'll reframe kind of the scope of the question a little bit then, because I think that was valuable what you just said, but I'm also wondering about something else, which is, you know, the Yankees are a team that has for a long time chosen to have extra minor league affiliates. They have more than a lot of teams. As you look at the ways that the minor leagues seem to be reorganizing moving forward, where does that leave the Yankees who obviously have found an advantage, you, you would assume, in essentially over committing to the minor leagues as opposed to some other teams? 
Yeah, I, I think that the, the way the best way to put it is the Yankees bought a lot of lottery tickets over the last few years. And, you know, if you go down to the, the 7-Eleven and buy a ton of lottery tickets, they're not all going to pay off. But if you get one or two, you're doing pretty good. And so uh, they've been putting themselves in a position where they can get these guys in the system and have a, a fast riser. And maybe you, you can get a guy on a team where uh, he otherwise would have not had a place or been overlooked or not had that opportunity. And so uh, I think that with the minor league scaling down, you're going to see less of that. Um, you're going to see teams going more. And, and this is universal. This is not just the Yankees. But I think by necessity, you're going to have to cut down on those lottery card type picks. Uh, you're going to have to go for more of the, the sure things or, or what is a sure thing because there is no sure thing in, in scouting and drafting these guys. Um, I remember – talking to one of the scouts uh, with the Yankees when I was doing my first book, The Baby Bombers, and he was telling me that what you have to, you have to know is that you can be 100% sure locked in on the player you're seeing. Like, you are sure what you've seen. You go back to your hotel room, you write your report, and know that when you hit the send button, you've got a 5 or 10% chance of being right. So it, it, it is a failure industry. Forecasting the future is hard. Injuries happen. Underperformance happens. Sometimes guys just aren't what you thought they were. And so – it's really a difficult game to, to scout and draft these guys. And that's why you see most of these names do not make it to the major leagues. It's a very select few. So, um, but I think it'll cut down on the amount of lottery tickets, I guess is the best way I can answer it um, that you see coming in. And that, that's a, it's a shame, I guess, because you got a lot of guys who will never get a chance and who will not have the opportunity to wear a Yankee uniform or a pro uniform because there's just no team for them to play on. Absolutely. Turning the page for a second here, Brian, you've been, uh, I think, stuck essentially in a hotel room for some like four months now. Is that correct? It's kind of a, a condo, I guess uh, I would say. But uh, yeah, it, yeah, I, I can't right. wait to see what the next question is. So scouting level up to eight, what would you rate as your level of sanity right now? <laughs> uh, on the 20 to 80 scale, I'd say I'm probably yeah. about a, a 40 right now. I, I'm going... I'm going nuts looking at the calendar and just thinking that, for example, uh, this past weekend, I, I saw that the Yankees were supposed to be in Boston. I'm thinking about all the restaurants I might have gone to and how I like, you know, pushing the stroller around Boston Common. And, um, you know, people complain about the length of the Yankee Red Sox games, but I'll take a five hour Yankee Red Sox game at Fenway right now with, with a rain delay in the middle. Like I would sign up for that happily. This alternative, like it's been nice being in Florida, I guess, but I didn't ask for a five-month vacation down here and so i would like to get <laughs> baseball back and and actually have some kind of purpose and be covering games again that would be really great so plus plus fatherhood skills you know very projectable cooking and question and answer and princess dress-up skills essentially it's been very impressive watching your happy hour instagram question and answer sessions i think you're doing a great job with that a lot a lot of projectable qualities you have there. thank you i would have to say my cooking skills are at a 20 like unless you count heating up uh, microwave mac and cheese and uh, beefaroni for the kids yeah there's not a whole lot i can do i, I make a mean peanut butter jelly sandwich but uh, my wife connie has been doing most of the cooking and she's been the real mvp around here are there things that you've taken up in this time? And this is actually a serious question, whether it's, you know, Korean baseball or Netflix series or whatever, things that you've taken up that just had never been a part of your life before that you've actually really enjoyed over the last four months? I, I would say it has been a plus being home with the kids. I typically, um, you know, if this were the regular season and I'm covering a home game, I'm leaving for the stadium around one o'clock in the afternoon and I'm coming home probably at 
12 30 one o'clock in the morning and so uh, a big chunk of my day i'm i'm missing in action and so and obviously when the team goes on the road if they can't come with me then i'm gone the entire day so having uninterrupted time at home with the girls my girls are three and one so this has been a, a really cool stage to got to get to see them every day they know that daddy's here for breakfast lunch and dinner um that's different we wouldn't we wouldn't have had that otherwise so i guess that would be some kind of plus um you know we've tried to do some kind of health and um, you know I'm, I'm back to jogging again and we're you know we try to go for a family walk on the bay every night so that that's a plus i guess but being down here it's not like we can go to disney world it's not like we're going to the beach you know it's there's very limited things that we actually can do um safely so um, you're trying to take the positives where you can, you know, stream what you can on TV, but um, there, there just comes a point where it, it's time to get back to the ballpark. And um, like the MLBPA said in their statement last week, tell us when and where, uh, tell me when and where I'm ready to go. Well, if you're not following Brian on Instagram or Twitter, you really should. In addition to just being very informative and having a lot of great stuff and great you know, information and promotional stuff about his great books, his daughters uh, really do steal the show quite often. <laughs> but Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Like you said, there's just it's fun. It's 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 fun talking about Yankees draft picks right now. It'd be really fun talking about Yankees baseball games. So we'll see. Hopefully, we get to do that pretty soon. In the meantime, I hope that you will continue to subscribe, like, rate, review this podcast, whether at yankees.com slash podcast or anywhere. Also, our Deep to Left with Bucky Dent podcast. Brian, I don't know if you've been listening to any of those, but it truly does get better every week. The last two episodes, we've had Ron Guidry and Mike Torres. So a lot of great discussions about those late 70s teams and, of course, the really incredibly special game that made Bucky Dent a legend in New York and a villain in Boston. So deep to left with Bucky Dent, please check that out. Follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. It's the best place to find out certainly when we will be publishing again and what is developing. But we're also going back into our vault right now and putting up some truly great stories that you can find by going there or to yankees.com slash magazine. And I hope you will. We've put some great stories about Lou Gehrig and about the first night game in Yankee Stadium history and a particular favorite of mine about Freddie Says Schumann, which we put up from, I think it was 2012 when we wrote that story. So be sure to check that out. Brian, can't thank you enough for being here. Look forward to doing it soon, but really, really, really look forward to seeing you at a baseball game sometime soon. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll speak to you in two weeks. Hi, this is Luke Voigt. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today. 